Hi, I'm Carla Wainwright. And I'm Little Leah. And welcome to the Radical Sex Witches podcast, where we explore the themes of sexuality, feminism, consciousness, love, healing, ritual, magic, and all things witchy and wonderful. What's up, witches? And welcome to another episode of the Radical Sex Witches. I'm Little Leah, and with me, as always, is the lovely Carla Wainwright. We are both bundled to our tits because it's getting cold in the north. It sure is. Yeah, it's a sweater season. Sweater, um, socks to my knees, like today. I love this look. I don't care how ridiculous I am. Like, yeah. I let you know that leg for a grow. Oh, yeah. I don't have a man in my life. And even if I did, I'd have to be like, deal with it, bro. This is going to be rubbing on the sides of your cheeks later. <laughs> <laughs> Guess we should get all of our giggling out of the way because, as promised at the end of the last episode, today is going to be a bit more serious. So, if you thought that being a woman in 2023 is a hard time, it was actually really rough being a woman in in the medieval and early modern Europe. You had no land, no rights, were a spinster by the age of 15, and dead by 40. And that's assuming you weren't put on trial for being a witch somewhere sprinkled in the middle there. So in today's episode, we uncover the sad tales of how women, and sometimes men, were tested to prove their involvement with witchcraft, and the outcomes of these tests would determine whether they lived or perished. That's a horrifying reminder of the destructive power of mass hysteria and persecution, something we should always be aware of. So guess what we're going to do? Go down the rabbit hole with our resident historian, Carla. (laughs) Well... You, you get to wear that hat today, too, because it's all historical. But yes, I will I'll get things started. So there was, a you know, this incredible anti-witch hysteria that began in Europe in the Middle Ages. And it also then, of course, spread to North America in the 16th and 17th centuries. We remember the Salem witch trials that were so famous. And that really led to many, many innocent men, women, and even children to be accused of sorcery. And subjected to torturous witch tests in order in order to prove uh, their guilt. So we're going to talk about some of these tests, and as you see, they're all pretty much completely bonkers. Uh, they make no logical sense, but that didn't seem to make any. It wasn't important, obviously. So um, I do want to just bring up this scene from Monty Python and the Holy Grail, where there's a witch burning trial. So I, Monty Python was a huge thing in my house growing up. And uh, so I I really remember this uh, scene very well. So the townspeople bring a woman to a knight. I think it's this Sir Galahad. And they say, hey, we found a witch. And then he says, well, how do you know this woman is a witch? So then there's this whole sequence of flawed reasoning. So just basically to summarize, we know this woman is a witch because she looks like one, because (laughs) she dresses like one, because she has a wart, and because she turned someone into a newt. But then that person said that they got better. (laughs) And then what do we do with witches? Oh, well, we burn them. Well, what do we also burn? Wood. Okay, so therefore witches weren't burned because they're made out of wood. And wood also floats in water. What else floats in water? A duck. So if the woman weighs the same as a duck, then she's made of wood. And if she weighs the same as a duck, therefore, uh, so yeah, therefore she's a witch. I mean, all of that logic sounds like the logic we're about to get into. <laughs> totally. <laughs> no I mean, rhyme or reason. Exactly. And I'm going to blink the skit because the skit's actually pretty funny. But <clears throat> it's just so obviously mocking the insane reasoning that was used to try witches. And uh, 
the trials that we're going to just talk about just make about as much sense as that Monty Python skit. So Leah, why don't you tell us about the the first trial? Uh, the infamous swimming test. Uh, first of all, I wish that there was backstory of how they came up with these ideas before we dig into them, right? Like <laughs> the logic part. <laughs> Anyways, the swimming test accused witches were dragged to the nearest body of water. Oh, God, this is a fear of mine. Uh, stripped to their undergarments, bound and then tossed in to see if they'd sink or float. So since witches were believed to have rejected the sacrament of baptism, it was thought that the water would reject their bodies and prevent them from submerging. According to this logic, an innocent person would sink like a stone. Oh, my God. But a witch would simply bob on the surface. The victim typically had a rope tied around their waist so they could be pulled from the water if they sank. But it wasn't unusual for accidental drowning deaths to occur. Well, no shit. Uh, this custom was banned in many European countries in the Middle Ages, only to reemerge in the 17th century as a witch experiment. And it persisted in some locales well into the 18th century. So, for example, in 1710, the swimming test was used as evidence against a Hungarian woman named Dorko Boda, who was later beaten and burned at the stake as a witch. So, yeah, you sunk. But we're still pretty sure you're a witch. Uh, oh, well, you sunk. <laughs> she must have been innocent, but then she's dead. And yeah, and like, how long did they keep them under the water for before someone's uh, like, well, they're not they're not floating. Let's pull them up. Like, I'm sure like so many fucking died that way. That's so horrible. Yeah, it's horrifying. And actually, I do know the origin of this. So this comes from even earlier times in medieval times where they would throw thieves and people who, you know, they thought were sorcerers, they'd throw them into running water as punishment and basically, you know, into something like, you know, rapids in the river. And people didn't know how to swim that, obviously. Uh, and that was their that was their punishment. So if they they lived, then, you know, it was OK. But this then just became an extension of of that horrendous practice. Ugh. I've had dreams where I've actually died twice from drowning. Like I literally like an angel told me I was dead and that my lungs filled up with water like <laughs> two times. <laughs> so of that one I do not like. I do not like the swimming test. <laughs> no, maybe maybe that was uh, part of your story at one point. Maybe. Yeah. Okay, so now we have uh the prayer test. So medieval wisdom said that witches were incapable of speaking scripture out loud. So they made accused sorcerers and witches to recite selections from the Bible. So usually the Lord's Prayer without making any mistakes or omissions. Oh, my God. Yeah. So any errors that they made was proof that the speaker was in league with the devil. Uh, but of course, it was more because they were either illiterate or super fucking nervous because this was the trial of their life. That's what I was thinking of. They're probably so nervous. Like, don't fuck up. Don't fuck up. Don't fuck. I fucked up. Like, yeah, exactly. So the twisted test of public speaking ability was commonly used as hard evidence in witch trials. And in 1712, it was applied to the case of Jane Wenham, an accused witch who supposedly struggled to speak the words, forgive us our trespasses and lead us not in temptation during her interrogation. Um, and so that of course condemned her and it should be noted too that even if you were successful at at saying the prayer without any mistakes it didn't guarantee an acquittal so in the salem witch trials uh accused sorcerer george burroughs flawlessly recited the prayer from the gallows just before his execution 
But then his performance was just simply dismissed as a devil's trick and the hanging proceeded as planned. Oh my God. Yeah. Sometimes I am grateful that it's 2023. Holy fuck, man. Yeah. Well, let's keep going down this fucked up (laughs) road of tests. The next one we have is the touch test. And the touch test worked on the idea that victims of sorcery would have a special reaction to physical contact uh, with their evildoer in cases where a possessed person fell into spells or fists, the suspected witch would be brought into the room and asked to lay a hand on them. Uh, No reaction meant innocence, but if the victim came out of their fit, it was seen as proof that the suspect had placed them under a spell. Touch tests played a famous part in the 1662 trial of Rose Cullender and Amy Denny, two English uh, women who were charged with bewitching a pair of young girls. The children had been suffering from fits that left their their fists clenched so tightly that even a strong man could not pry their fingers apart. But early tests showed that these easily opened whenever the two women uh, touched them. So to ensure the reaction was genuine, judges had the children blindfolded and, and touched by other members of the court. And the, gle- the girls unclenched their fists anyways. Uh, which suggested they were faking, but even this was not enough to prove the women's women's innocence. And uh, both Cullender and Denny were later hanged as witches. I am not a doctor. I am just a witch. Yeah, it, it actually, I mean, just as we go through this, it becomes glaringly obvious that this was just all about some kind of like rabid uh, misogyny yeah, um, control. Because most of these women were older and it didn't matter. Like they had rules, you know, to determine if you were a witch. And it didn't matter if you disproved that because they were still going to kill you anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. This next one is bizarre. It's uh, the <laughs> the trial of the witch cake. Um, the witch cake was a supernatural dessert that was used to identify <laughs> suspected evildoers. So in cases of mysterious illness or possession, witch hunters would take a sample of the victim's urine, mix it with rye meal and ashes, and then bake it into a cake. Uh, This stomach-turning concoction was then fed to a dog, which was considered to be the familiar or animal helper of witches, in the hope that the beast would fall under its spell and reveal the name of the guilty sorcerer. Yeah, so during the hysteria that preceded the Salem witch trials, the slave Tichiba famously helped prepare a witch cake to identify the person responsible for bewitching um, young Betty Paris and others. And of course, it failed to work. But then Tichiba's supposed knowledge of spells and folk remedies was later used as evidence against her. And she was then accused as being a witch. Well, that's kind of no surprise right there. Nope. <laughs> that one backfired. And like what? Yeah. Here you go, Rover. Eat this. Eat this urine witch cake, and then just like <laughs> eats it, and he's like, "It's Carla Wayne, right?" Like, <laughs> yeah. I wonder if we should start a thing at the farmers market selling witch cakes. <laughs> uh, I don't know if the farmers market is a place for it, but I bet you we can make an OnlyFans. <laughs> oh, yeah, I think you're right. That's how we'll monetize this podcast. <laughs> eat our pee. <laughs> One of you perverts out there is listening right now and you're like, yep, I'd buy that. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> send us a DM. <laughs> no, don't send us a fucking DM. I don't want to hear about Carla. You don't spend enough time on Twitter. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> uh, and then we're moving on to one that you guys probably heard about before. Uh, witch marks. Witch hunters often had their suspects striped and publicly examined for signs of unsightly blemishes that witches were said to receive upon their making their pact with Satan. The devil's mark could supposedly change shape and color and was believed to be numb and insensitive to pain. Oh, boy. Prosecutors might also search for the witch's teat. Oh, we've talked about this before. An extra nipple mm. allegedly used to suckle the witch's helper animals. <laughs> Just me picturing myself with my third nipple feeding my baby bats. <laughs> In both cases, it was easy for even the most minor physical imperfections to be labeled as the work of the devil himself. So moles, scars, birthmarks, sores, uh, extra nipples and tattoos could all qualify. So examiners rarely came up empty handed. And in the midst of witch hunts, desperate villagers would sometimes even burn or cut off any offending marks on their bodies only to have their wounds labeled as proof of the covenant of the devil. <sighs> Still, I want to suckle a baby bat on my boob, my third boob, your third boob. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man, can you imagine that hysteria being like, oh, well, what, like my birthmark, man, like, yeah, yeah, I, I mean, there were, there, were, there were moments where, I mean, people were just absolutely completely hysterical, like the, the threat of being labeled a witch, you know, was this constant fear state that people had Yeah, every single day. Yeah, pretty crazy. Uh, pricking or scratching tests. So if witch hunters struggle to find the obvious evidence of witch's marks on a suspect's body, then they might resort to the ghastly practice of pricking as a means of getting more evidence. So witch hunting books and instructional pamphlets noted that witches were insensitive to pain and couldn't bleed. I think we've talked about this before. So examiners use specially designed needles to repeatedly stab and prick at the accused person's body until they discovered a, a spot that produced the desired results. So in England and Scotland, the torture was eventually performed by well-paid professional uh, prickers. Many of them were actually con men <laughs> yeah, who used dull needle points to identify. Oh, my marks. God. That's brutal. Yeah. It's like, who, who do you have to be to do that? Ugh. Along with the pricking, the unfortunate suspect might also be subjected to scratching by their supposed victim. So the test was based on the idea that possessed people, they found relief by scratching the person responsible with their fingernails until they drew blood. And if their symptoms improved after clawing at the accused witch's skin, it was seen as partial evidence of guilt. Ugh. Here I was giggling at being a professional pricker. I mean, I still know some of those people. It's <laughs> <laughs> probably never gonna, never gonna end as a profession. No, it really isn't. It just uh, the the job requirements change. <laughs> yes, exactly. Then we've got incantations, also known as charging. This test involved forcing the accused witch to verbally order the devil to let the possessed victim come out of their fit or trance. Other people would also utter the words to act as a control, and judges would then gauge whether the statements had any effect on the victim's condition. 
Charges were famously used in the 16th century witch trial of Alice Samuel and her husband and daughter, who were accused of bewitching five girls from the wealthy Throckmorton Throckmorton Mm -hmm. family. Throckmorton. During the proceedings, judges forced the Samuels to demand that the devil release the girls from their spells by stating, as I am a witch, so I charge the devil to let the mistress Throckmorton come out of her fit at this present. When the possessed girls immediately recovered, the Samuels were found guilty and hanged as witches. Is there more to this? I want to know about those. Like, were they just being set up, do you think? Oh, probably. Samuels? Holy. Yeah, probably. Yep. Who knows? Jealousy. Anything. 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 Yeah. Crazy. Wow. Crazy. And I mean, you know, force force them to to make that incantation. And um, so what torturous methods? I mean, just the fear of of going to be sentenced to death that pretty much makes people do anything they're told. Yeah. So horrible. Yeah. So, you know, these were kind of the most common uh, witch trials that were used, which 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 witchcraft trials. Witch trial tests? Witch (laughs) trial tests. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, uh, you know, there were others, but these were kind of the most common ones that we saw in Europe and North America. And, you know, all of these witch trial tests are horrifying, of course, and to me, you know, utterly heartbreaking. And really tens of thousands of women died as a result of being accused and then tried as a witch. And death was commonly by fire, so being burned at the stake beheading and hanging and can i just say like also people loved watching this stuff Mm -hmm. well people love watching public executions like well through the 1800s if you think of like the wild west be like come on we're gonna go see you know shorty mcgee gets strung up by his neck in the town square yeah yeah so anyway um and the most intensive witch hunts in Europe were between 1450 and 1650. And most of the last executions were in the late 1700s, early 1800s, which I find super surprising. Like, it's kind of not surprising 1400s, 1500s, but, you know, going right into the 1800s. Mm-hmm. So the the very or um, the very last woman to be executed for witchcraft was Anna Goldie in Switzerland in 1782. And she was accused by an employer uh, of stealing and being a witch. And then she was tortured to confess. And she was actually decapitated with a sword at 48 years old. But then when the word of her execution spread across Europe, her execution was condemned as totally barbaric. So there'd been a real cultural shift that that was just no longer considered acceptable. And interestingly, 200 years after her death, uh, someone wrote a novel. Unfortunately, I don't have the name of that person in 1982. Uh, about her and it revived interest in Goldie's life and fate. And later, a lawyer and journalist named Walter Hauser made it his mission to clear her name. And in 2008, he used evidence um, of the whole situation to petition uh, the local government in, in Switzerland to officially exonerate Goldie, which they did. Wow. 2008. I have questions yeah. for Walter. Like, what was his passion for specifically her? You know, like that's. Yeah. And there's a little museum about her, too, in a house. Really? Yeah. You know, maybe he just maybe he just really believed in in, you know, righteous. In just, yeah, clearing her name and 
really felt moved by her story, but who knows. And what a drastic difference in time that we live in. Cause like, I mean, first of all, we're here doing this podcast talking about being witches. You can go on Instagram, fucking TikTok, all those places, and we're openly declaring that we're witches. And there's there's millions of us. And none of us are scared to, you know, like, oh shit, none of us are doing this in secret. That like all of these people that the tens of thousands of people that died before us, basically, they weren't even probably doing anything of the sort that we do now. They were just living a normal, trying to live a normal existence, but they died for us. And not be noticed. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But I I, I should say, well, we should just clarify that this is not the case for everyone in the world, even in 2023. No, of course not. In certain cultures, it's still considered, you know quite serious to be labeled a witch and there'd be pretty big consequences, but yeah. But, you know, North America and even, you know, over there's different places where, you know, we're making Instagram posts about it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah. So I know this one was kind of a bit of a (laughs) downer, but I think it's interesting and I think it's worth just really recognizing, um, yeah, just how difficult it was to navigate life as a woman. And no wonder women have have had it just sort of embedded in our psyche that being invisible is the way to be because it was dangerous to be visible. And I could just feel the fear in reading some of these. Like, you know, I'm just going to the market to go sell my goat milk. And the next thing you know, yeah. that rash on my arm, it's obviously the devil. Yeah fucked up and on that note (laughs) (laughs) we are going to be getting back to the on the next episode uh much more sexier topic we're going to be talking about swinging get on your swing baby (laughs) anyways i'm little leah And I'm Carla. We are the Radical Sex Witches, and we will see you next time. Hello, witchy listener. It's Carla here. If you're feeling disconnected from pleasure and unfulfilled in life, reach out to me and let's connect on a free call. I love helping women like you shift to owning your sexual power, reconnecting to your body, and finding your unique Radical Sex Witch within. Go to CarlaWainwright.com or find my contact info in the show notes. Let's co-create a life for you that is truly turned on.